at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Howdy, everyone. Everyone, welcome to another edition. As you mentioned, we are uh, we are in a tailspin of a uh, first half now into second half of the football season. Uh, so that at some points dampens the mood, but it also allows us to uh, <laughs> at least dig harder for for bright sides which dan i'll be honest sometimes can be rewarding i know um without diving too far into the post i felt like um i actually you know got to watch um the game when i watched the game twice i I get a lot out of it and and i actually found a ton of positive things to take out of the offense but again there's some caveats but you know we do have uh, what looks like an offensive attack even if against Pitt, they only managed to run 54 plays yeah, I think um, for when the offense actually got to do do their thing and play consistently, I thought it was their best performance, um, at least, you know, outside of like Rhode Island, which probably shouldn't count. Um, they, they, it was interesting because we spent a lot of time last week harping on the lack of consistent uh, times that we go to, the, to our, our main playmakers. And that's pretty much what the game plan was against Pitt, uh, especially with Steve Ishmael, who probably had his best game um, really went, you know, punch for punch with Tyler Boyd, if, if not even outplaying him in the game. Um, so definitely a lot of positives. Obviously, the whole the team changed on a, that nine-minute drive and the fake punt. Um, but overall, you know, disappointing loss. But I think if it hadn't come after two other really disappointing losses and it was just kind of a one-off thing, We'd say, you know, we played pretty well against an undefeated or a, a one-loss Pitt team that could win the Toastal. Not, they're not, they're not showing it right now in North Carolina, but I think Pitt's pretty decent, and Syracuse was just about as good as them. They just couldn't make crucial stops uh, when it counted at the end. So that that seems to be the big hump for this team right now. Yeah, I mean, this is a Pitt team that you know we we will always throw shade at Pitt just because it's on principle, but. Um... Yeah, this was a pit team that was five and one going in. They lost by a possession to, to an undefeated Iowa team. Who, again, you can debate the merits of, of the Hawkeyes all you want, but fact of the matter is that, that this is this is considered a very good pit team. Um, they're going to finish this season well. I haven't looked at the score of the uh, North Carolina game uh, right now, but by the time this uh, this is posted on the blog, everyone will know what'll happen there. And the team that is uh, that at least has a. 70% shot of winning the division if Duke doesn't pull it off again. Um, in general, I, I think, yeah, it, it, everything's in context. It would have been a more promising loss. It was one we expected just because Pitt has our number, but it would have been a more promising loss had it not followed Virginia, which was another collapse, and then USF, which was a no-show. So we're trending upwards, which is a plus. On the, Fortunately, however... The easy part of the schedule is over until, you know, mid-November, and that's where the trouble comes in. Um, you mentioned the, the playmakers, and I think it's it's great to see. And I'm curious uh, if you think that Ben Lewis's absence, not that we're happy about it because we're not, um, if Ben Lewis's absence almost, you know, by default forced Tim Lester to, to really lean on um, those four guys that, that Kevin posted about last week. It's Jordan Frederick, Steve Ishmael, uh, Brisley Esteem. And uh, or Phillips. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if Ben Lewis's absence was the uh, the sticking point there, or if if it was just a, a I you know, he just figured out he needed to do this uh, this week. Otherwise, but um, I do think that it, it takes away. He seems to lean on Ben Lewis not as even a safety valve receiver, which is what he's best at. But uh, for whatever reason, I think Lester probably just really likes him as a player, which is fair because he is a good player. Um, but he definitely gets too cute with the, the ways he tries to implement him in the offense rather than just have him as a, you know, a short yardage possession receiver, which, which he's very good at. Um, all the options and the handoffs, those things, 
I understand that he wants his H-backs to kind of be interchangeable because you want to be able to run, play, play fast out of uh, whatever personnel drooping you have out there. But it, for whatever reason, he seems to treat uh, all of those guys who have very different still sets um, like they can all run the same plays, which is kind of weird. But um, the one thing that I did think was surprising is we didn't see as much. I mean, we, we saw Strickland a little bit, but I thought he might see the biggest jump in, in, uh, in touches without Lewis since they, you know, played largely the same position. But um, I think he was only out there for a handful of snaps, if I remember correctly. Someone had the stat earlier this week, um, probably one of the Syracuse.com guys. Uh, so I would like to see him um, get a little more involved, although when you're only running 60 plays a game, it is tough to, to have five guys that you can reliably get the ball to. Um, but a lot of that's on the defense getting off the field. So we'll see what happens if uh, the defense can start making late-game stops. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know what, like, you're right. It, it It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation when it comes to involving the other guys because you involve the other guys if you only have 60 plays it's very likely we're going to feel like one was shorted um at the end and and as much as you and i and a lot of others uh have been calling for more um jamal custis um, and a little bit more strickland there's just not there's not the capacity for it and when you're i mean things were were, were firing for about 75 percent of the game for this offense um, in one way or another, and it was because they were focusing on those four guys. And you know, once Steve Ishmael, um, you know, found himself some matchups that worked. I mean, he didn't need to be downfield. He made some great plays downfield, but he was also, you know, really, really, really showing his stuff um, in short, you know, passes too. I think uh, what I was really surprised by, I wasn't surprised by us hanging with them, but what I was surprised by was the fact that Pitt is a pretty vaunted, um, you know secondary and i felt like for the most part su was able to exploit them um pretty well and 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 force them into into at least a few mistakes um both in terms of you know just bad coverage or or a couple um pass interference calls yeah i thought we definitely did a good job throwing the ball um you know outside of the two interceptions from donji which came i think on two straight drives in the third quarter after he took that pretty nasty hit um Overall, I thought I thought that the the passing game looked really strong. Ishmael looked like everyone's uh, ideal of what we think Steve Ishmael can turn into. Uh, and like you said, Pitt, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, um, but they are a, a pretty solid passing defense from what I gather. Uh, so definitely another encouraging performance there. Uh, Dungey continues to put up, you know, probably the best numbers since senior year. Ryan Nassib, which is exciting. Uh, and he should only get better. So um, definitely a lot of good to take away. Uh, unless you're looking at Pitt's pass. Pitt, Pitt has the number seven passing S&P defense, which, you know, that's pretty good. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I know that Michael uh, Burke over on the site wrote a pretty nice article last week about, you know, how their passing defense is really going to force Dungey to do some things. And, and to me, that meant, ah, crap, Dungey's going to have to run more. And then you look at this game, I mean, and we said it during, we said it after. Um, it can't be overstated how well Eric Dungy um, adjusts and, and fixes things. And I mean, you know he's not perfect, but he doesn't have to be. Um, fact is that he's a true freshman, he's a kid, and, and he's making these adjustments where we said he's holding on to the ball too long, he needs to make quicker reads. And, uh, and against a pretty uh, you know, staunch pit pass rush, um, he was making much quicker reads, and he wasn't just you know tucking and running it. I mean, he maybe took one or two bad hits, um, and I mean one of them more serious than the other, obviously. But in general, he uh, he just seemed like he, he was much more in control. It was much less of the kind of gunslinger Wild West stuff that we uh, we saw earlier on. And he actually seems like a, a very polished quarterback, um, you know, experience or not. Yeah, he definitely took some of the things that uh, have been concerns for, for us and, and the things that Lester has talked about uh, to heart. You can tell he was getting the ball out faster. He was making quicker reads. Um, I'm not sure how many sacks he took. I, I don't remember it being that many, although the game was now like five days ago. Um, I want to say it was but, one, and then on, he was hit on a run on another one. Yeah, um, and, you know, we've had questions about the offensive line uh Stephen Bailey over at .com has been tracking the pro football focus numbers, which 
are really, really high on our offensive line. I don't know if they quite jive with what we see, but um, the the PFF guys do do a, a pretty nice job. I know there have been some questionable things that have come out from their metrics, but, you know, it's about as detailed as you get with offensive line breakdowns. So, you know, maybe that's a, a group that's performing better than we think, and, and there are issues other, other places. Um, maybe a lot of it is. Uh, you know, Dungey needing to make these reads faster because of the way we're steaming guys open and, and steaming for these hot routes to be open quickly. So, um, you know, I think we, we occasionally lose, uh, lose focus sometimes of Dungey being in what his fourth or fifth start, uh, and, you know, having missed a couple, you know, some pretty decent time in the middle of the season already. So he's definitely a work of progress, but you can, you can see him getting better, uh, live. Um, it's not like we have to wait for the off season. He's, He's a much better player now than he was in the beginning of the year, which is exciting to see that kind of turnaround uh, just during this one season. Yeah, and you know what? It, it's not to, to create this wild kind of comparison, but you know, this is the type of change that you see from a player you know, in his first season in the NFL where a guy who gets it meets, it starts to click midway through. Um, in college, you're right, it usually takes you, you know, an offseason or two. It's like you got to finish some college weight training you got to finish you know watching more tape you got to learn how to read college defenses you got to adjust to speed there's a lot of things that that come into play um and you know i think it depends on the conference maybe and depends on the system but the jump from high school to college i think is much bigger um except in your if you're in florida or texas um than the jump from college to pro in many cases uh and, and you know what dungy's really you know showed himself to be a cerebral um and, and just just conscientious guy all around um, as, as he works to, you know, involve the right players, make the right reads. Um, and, and I think based on some statements he made earlier this week, looks like he's going to work to protect himself too. And if he could put those three things together and, and keep the turnover numbers fairly low as he has, um, you know, knock on wood, we, we've got quite the player on our hands. Yeah. And, and it probably, um, you know, obviously what happened to AJ Long is really unfortunate um, not to go into too much of what happened today. Um, but obviously Dungy was sharing quarterback room with AJ so he can see kind of live what can happen. Even when someone doesn't take, you know, AJ's injuries came from high school and, and he never had an in-game concussion that I can tell at SU. And he still was medically disqualified based on some freak accidents. So, Dungy's already, you know, likely experienced a concussion the first time. We don't know for sure, as other people remind us, but um, we're pretty confident that's what it was. Uh, so I think that's kind of a, a live example for him. Like, you know, it's really sucks what happened to AJ, who was also promising as a freshman. Let me, you know, obviously you want to gain every yard you can and and uh, make big plays and and try to you know, put forth extra effort, but, you know, gaining one extra yard on one play might cost him, you know, hundreds of yards down the road. So hopefully he strikes that balance. It seems like he's doing a better job, um, even on the play where he took the hit this time, you know, wasn't, uh, he was, you know, trying to go gain a couple extra yards, but I, I don't think it was quite, you know, where he set himself up to that level, like some of the other plays where he's hurdled people or, or, you know, left himself wide open across the middle, uh, on scramble. So, you know, hopefully through the rest of the year, we don't see him taking these big shots every week. Like he seems to be now, but um, he's improving in other aspects as well. So there's no reason to think he can't improve in this one. Completely agree. And I think, you know, if there was any week for him not to take those hits, I think uh, this upcoming one would be uh, preferred considering that the, the players he'll be facing um, on that Florida state front and actually the entire defense um, more of them are, are bound for Sundays than, uh, than not. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that this is something that we're going to see progress on, but we've seen such quick progress on. Um, I think sometimes, you know, fans and even us, you know, need to stop ourselves from, from jumping the gun too much and, and jumping to him being this kind of, you know, transformative, like, savior figure. Um, he's still going to make mistakes. Uh, he's, he still has plenty of room to grow, but the fact that he's already exploited so much of that room to grow and, and, and put it behind him is is incredibly encouraging yeah for sure um and this weekend will definitely be the the best set of athletes he's faced so it is exciting to see what he can do against the seminoles to see he's you know he's had a couple you know the, the rough performances for dungy have been 
way better than what we're used to from from bad quarterback play. Like even when he, you know, his worst level performances have been 200 plus yards, couple touchdowns. He might throw a pick. You know, two picks was his, was his high this week, and and uh, they both came in quick succession, and uh, they're both plays that should be something he can learn from. I think he was forcing throws a little bit. Um, if I mean, so if, if that was a bad game from him, or if the South Florida game was a bad game from him, that's so far ahead of where we've been with some of our other quarterbacks in, in years past. Uh, you have to be excited um, because that's a pretty high floor for a freshman quarterback. Yeah, and obviously, the, the, if he were their freshman quarterback, you can only imagine what comes next. Um, sophomore, diverting, yeah, sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> diverting slightly. Um, I said I didn't know what the pit score was. Pitt is down twenty to three. Yes, they are. Tar Heels right now. Um, so we could live in a world tomorrow where there's a seven and one Tar Heels team that shouldn't have lost the first game. No, um, they're actually twenty three to six now. They've traded field goals like in the last couple minutes. ESPN's thing doesn't update. I'm just on SU's page, but yeah, uh, that's insane. Um, I still can't believe that. Uh, they lost that first game, especially to a South Carolina team that's proven itself to be hot garbage. So either, either South Carolina is is you know the floor or one of the floors to to the SEC East, and it's still a very high floor, or or the coastal is is is, is terrible, um, or maybe maybe neither. M- maybe UNC is really a seven and one worthy team that could beat Iowa if given the chance on a neutral field. Um. Maybe I actually have no idea. I haven't seen UNC play since that South Carolina game. And I've actively avoided them. Yeah, first games of the season are tough, and they have a new defensive coordinator, um, and Gene Chizik, and um, Marquise Williams played that South Carolina game like he had never <laughs> played a game of football before. <laughs> and and I've seen Marquise Williams before that, and he's not that bad. So I assume that they've gotten better, and that that was kind of a fluky game because I don't think the Coastal is, you know, I don't. But I think it's you know a pretty even mediocre league. So maybe UNC is uh, finally fulfilling the prophecy that they get every year, where everyone's like, "Oh, the offense puts up a lot of points," and and now we have a, a defensive coordinator who's you know aside from his awful post Cam Newton Auburn tenure, like he's been a solid defensive coordinator before. So um, maybe they are putting everything together. Although I, I really like the Coastal is such like a house of mirrors. I never totally trust what I see out of there. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina could be the first sleeping giant to wake up, probably in, in the history of college football. Um, <laughs> I, I know we don't, I mean, and that's kind of why the phrase exists the way it does, because it always applies to programs that never wake up, whether it's UNC or NC State or Virginia or Rutgers to a point, or uh, Maryland, plenty of others. Um, yeah, this is, It's. I mean, I'd say... I'd say North Texas and SMU are kind of, and SMU was awake at one point, are kind of like two of the last ones that, that have never even come close to waking up, at least in the last 30 years. But, um, yeah, you, you look at this North Carolina team, and you, know, you and I said it in our, in our previews that we've done in past years, and everyone seems to say it. I think we said it about SU this year. Um, said, you know, if they can even have a functional offense and last year's defense, we're looking at a much better team. Obviously, Things the, the script flipped in a way that we never thought um, this season for Syracuse, um, and, and stats actually don't really bear out a great offense, um, despite what we've seen with our eyes. Um, but yeah, UNC is kind of showing what you know a change on one side of the ball um, can do, especially when you, when your head coach is so hyper focused on success um, on the other. Yeah, and it, it's almost like what we saw with Marone and Schaefer. Like Marone brought in Schaefer, handed Schaefer the keys, and. You know that was Schaefer's defense, and if you if you ever watch practice, like Marone was around, but Schaefer was totally running the show with the defense. And it sounds like that's what it sounds like. Schaefer's probably a little bit more involved with both sides, just because you know he Bulla's very similar to what you know in terms of style. Like the, the defense looks pretty much stylistically exactly the same as what it did when Schaefer was the coordinator. Um, it seems like Schaefer might be a little more hands on with the offense, uh, even if it's just like being around them at practice from what I've heard. But, but um, overall, like it, when you can nail down a coordinator like that, who can totally handle his side and, and let the, the head coach either just totally uh, delegate or, or focus on the side that he's more comfortable, it, it definitely helps. And, and UNC, you know, with Chiswick 
his Chizich name wasn't great just because of how his head coaching tenure ended, but um, he was also, you know, there's a reason he got the Auburn job in the first place. So uh, clearly it, it seems to be working out now. I haven't actually looked at like North Carolina's metrics and they haven't really played too many people since that South Carolina game, but the defense really couldn't be worse than what it was the last couple of years. So I'm sure he has been a pretty big reason for that improvement. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point with Chizik. Um, I think, you know, this is kind of where we play Six Degrees of Auburn, um, where, where Chizik, you know, gets run out of town the whole deal um, and, and is actually, you know, providing some really, really great results on that end of the football while Will Muschamp, uh, run out of town in Florida, goes to Auburn, and uh, dear God, w- what are the Auburn Tigers? Um, you know, and, and no, we're not going to talk about Auburn for too long because this is a Syracuse audience. Syracuse still is very bitter about what happened in 87. Neither of us were alive, but we're still bitter about it for obvious reasons. Um, Dan, since you and I probably are, are hyper-focused on what's going on outside of um, you know, Syracuse more than most within the fan base, what, uh, what is it to you that, that really drives you nuts about Auburn? since I'm sure you, like me, end up happening upon at least part of their game every weekend because of the prominence of the program? I really don't know. I thought Muschamp was a slam dunk for them. Uh, Muschamp has been a very good defensive coordinator at every stop. He's been a very good defensive coordinator at Auburn before. Um, Obviously, I think it's probably a little too early to judge since it is a major turnaround they're looking at. And even the year that they went to the national title uh, and lost to Florida State, that defense... Um, it wasn't great. It was opportunistic and it made some mid plays, but um, I don't know if, if, if it was, things were just so bad last year that he hasn't had a chance to really ingrain his system or if uh, the talent's really that lacking there, but I find that hard to believe because they recruit incredibly well. So it, it's kind of a mystery to me. Yeah. You know what? I, it was, I was, I only bring this up Auburn in general because I was listening to uh and I end up listening to some talk radio out here. Um, some of it's better than others, but talk radio gets to kind of, um, you know, not just focus in on L.A. I feel like they really do touch on a lot of different topics. And uh, on the Petros and Money show, the Petros Papadakis, who a lot of people probably are at least mildly familiar with, um, they were talking to uh, Heath Evans, you know, formerly of the Patriots, but played for Auburn. Um, and, and he was he was panning the Tigers. I mean, he had nothing really positive to say about Muschamp. But in particular, he had nothing really positive to say about, about the players on the team. He uh, he just felt like, in, in general, it, w- it was a team with undisciplined players. And, and that word really doesn't mean much. But w- what he was trying to get at, and he did sort of harp on a little bit too, was the fact that like, these were guys where technique um, w- was not a focal point. The coaching staff really didn't see it. As something they needed to stress, and I guess that kind of goes back to the last couple of years of this defense, of where things were really rough and raw, and like you look at like what Alabama did to them last year. Um, I don't remember the final score, but it was something in the fifties and sixties. It's pretty much nonsense, um, and it's all because Auburn's defense simply, um, you know, couldn't show up. And it's it's interesting to me what happens when. You know, yeah, I think you have similar recruiting classes, really, for the for the Tigers and for uh, you know Muschamp's Gators teams, and just the the drop off um, with, with similar talent is is insane. I don't think it's the scheme. I think it it really could be just that there's a that there's a problem in, at, at Auburn and expectation of success that players just might not be able to or, or, or want to to put in the work to do. I'm I mean I'm not there. I'm not within the program. So. Um, I guess, Dan, is there any, I mean, you talk to a bunch of folks around college football. Is there any, um, is there anything that you've seen that, that causes some red flags? Uh, it's, it's, they're just, I think undisciplined is probably pretty fair, um, just all over the place. And maybe it's just taking longer for Muschamp to, to get what everything fits there. Then I, I just find it hard to believe it's him because like even Florida, those teams weren't good, but his defenses were consistently like very good. It was the offensive was a problem. So um, it, it's weird because you, you'd think that when there is talent and, and SEC talent in the team, um, a coach can make a quick fix be, you know, without too much uh, time wasted. Um, and Muschamp got there really early. I think he was 
I think he was even there with like watching the team for bowl practices uh, because he was fired pretty early December, if I remember correctly from Florida. So um, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think it's, it's just gotta be that they've been, I don't know if they've had bad, uh, just bad habits as a group or the guys, just the recruiting on that side of the ball has been lacking. Although the, uh, the rankings would tell a different story, but um, it really is kind of perplexing to me that they, you know, I didn't expect them to turn into like a top ten Bull Must Champ defense. Well, right a, right away, but you'd think that'd be better. Um, at least take a, a, a sizable step forward this year. And um, without looking at the numbers, that really hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, you kind of thought they were in for uh, for something bad when when the Jackson State game was, uh, <laughs> was, was was going on there. Oh, Jackson State! Why did you yeah. why did you not go for the one at the end of regulation? Ugh. Still, still mad about that. The thing is, Malzahn would have been fired by this point, probably. Uh, I don't know. All right, so they're actually last year they were sixty sixth, sixty sixth in total defense. This year they're a hundred in yards per game. Like that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't compute for me. And they haven't even played like the heart of their. I mean, they've started to play the SEC, but like they haven't even played Alabama yet. Um, trying to think of, they got Ole Miss on Saturday. They have Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, like it's it's not. I mean, it's not good. Uh, they could be in for a long year. Uh, I, I I think it'd be a little quick to fire Malzahn. I think you had him like he you know he accomplished too much early on. He got them the turnaround he had from the end of Chiswick is pretty spectacular. But um, and and like I said, like Muschamp has about as good a defensive coordinator resume as you can have. So I think it'd be really quick to fire Melzon this year, um, especially because that could be a nightmare if he, you know, goes somewhere else and, and immediately starts winning. But, um, yeah, I mean, A&M, they have their own problems, but they can score points. Ole Miss is a, you know, we've seen them lose stupid games, but they seem, uh, they seem to have a better idea of what they're doing than Auburn does. Uh, Georgia still has a bunch of running bats that are talented, and Alabama's lurking, so... Um, things could get ugly for Auburn here down the stretch. I don't know how we just went to like a eight minute Auburn talk, but that happened. Yeah, <laughs> these things happen. Usually, we end up talking about teams nobody cares about. So at least this time, we picked a team that that people actually do like decidedly give a damn about. Yes, and and screw Pat Die. <laughs> screw Pat we'll, Die. We'll keep this largely uh, family fa- family friendly. Yeah, you, you all know what we meant. Um, right before halftime, uh, Dan, so far, uh, I know we, you and I bounce around these ideas here and there. Who, who are your top four, uh, playoff wise, um, at, at this juncture before, and not looking at the TCU score, though you probably know it. Um, I do. Assuming TCU wins tonight, um, looking at the weekend, who, who is your top four if the season ended today? Um, right now, uh. I, I like Ohio State. Um, I had been kind of low on them recently, but uh, I think putting JT Barrett back uh, back in the fold really gets them back on track. They looked really good against... I mean, they didn't even play their A game against Rutgers, and they won by like 50. Um, not that that's totally shocking, but I think we'll see Ohio State... Oh, Chandler Jones set a sack. I think we'll see Ohio State uh, start getting back to where we saw them when they were rolling last year. Uh, I think I'd put Clemson at number two. Uh, and you can make a case for number one. They've been spectacular since that Notre Dame game. Um, I, they should run the table. Uh, I don't think anyone out of the Coastal is going to really threaten them. So unless Florida State puts in like a, a really incredible performance next week, um, Clemson just looks really good. Uh, and, and I don't think we've seen the best of Deshaun Watson yet. But their running game is so far ahead of where I thought it would be. Their offensive line, you know, it's not great, but they've, they've – uh, found a way to get by some of the issues there. Their defense lost so much last year, and they, they just look incredible still. Um, Venables has done a tremendous job. So Clemson's terrifying. Baylor, just their offense is otherworldly. They haven't played anyone. But when you're storing 12 points a game more than anyone else in college football, you're doing something right. So um, right, right now, I'll have Baylor in there. We'll see what happens when they get into the heart of the Big 12. And then fourth, I'll keep LSU in there. They're undefeated. They're, they're in the SEC. Um, even games where I th- feel like it should be closer, they're finding a way to win pretty comfortably. So uh, those are the four. 
Uh, and then I'd have TCU and Alabama kind of lurking outside and Stanford right there too. Fair enough. Um, if I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it, you know, in, in terms of current resumes, um, I just don't know if Ohio State has the resume for it. I think that they're the team for it, and I think that they are one of the top four teams in the nation. But I don't see them having the resume to, to top a bunch of these teams up here. Um, I, unlike you, I am going to go Clemson 1. Um, I hate to do this, but uh, Clemson's got a really nice resume, and you know what? Uh, in a summer where a, a, a lot well, sorry, a winter, where a lot of, um, a lot of teams are going to be looking to hire um venables is suddenly going to become a, a hotter commodity i know he's never really comes up in the conversations like chad morris did and like a lot of other you know bigger name assistants do but you know venables what he's done and how he's turned around the culture um for the clemson defense after that orange bowl disaster against west virginia um the tigers are simply um you know scary on that side of the ball and even if the offense, you know, isn't operating at full speed, and I'd argue it really hasn't for the last year and a half, um, I mean, the team's still winning, and, and, and they're winning most games by a pretty sizable margin. Um, moving past Clemson, um, I am not a Bale lever at all, so so Baylor will, will not be in my top four, especially without Seth Russell. Um, LSU, uh, we saw it firsthand. I think LSU has one of the better, um, you know, resumeable wins in Florida. I think that they have to be included in, in any conversation there. Um, I do really like TCU. I understand that they suffer from some of what um, Baylor does. I think they're probably your four. Um, and then that, that three is probably coming down to Michigan State, uh, despite the fact that they uh, they are an unimpressive 8-0. They are still 8-0, and they do have, possess a win over Michigan, who is largely considered by a lot of folks to be uh to be one of the probably top 15 to 10 to 15 teams in the country um so it's either michigan state in that three spot or um and and this is obviously me showing some usual bias toward this team uh stanford um i think stanford has racked up some some pretty solid wins already um you know what usc and and ucla are both I mean, they're not amazing wins, but they are they are very good wins and probably better wins than than a couple teams in front of them have on their resumes. Um, The Northwestern loss isn't terrible, especially on the road. Um, In general, I I think the Cardinal are the best team in the country, and I think when when the season shakes out, um, as long as the uh, the Pac-12 South champ can avoid having two or three losses, um, which debatable at this point. I think Stanford, if they run the table, will be will be your one seed, unless um, unless LSU goes unbeaten. You think a one loss Stanford would be ahead of a undefeated Ohio State? Uh, I do, if only because Ohio State's resume would would have to include. Yeah, Ohio State's resume would have to include a a win over at that point a three loss Michigan team. Um, and and what would probably be at least a one-loss Michigan State squad, um, while Stanford would have, you know... I mean, I think Notre Dame is one of the toughest, if not these toughest schedules in the country this year, especially when you look at that Temple game that was supposed to be easy, that Pitt game that was supposed to be easy. Um, I think Stanford's schedule's right up there w- with Notre Dame um, and some of those SEC squads um, in, in, in terms of level of difficulty. I just think that um, committees seem to like conference championships. They seem to like strength of schedule. Um, to me, that really does favor um, does favor the Cardinal. Um, I mean, we'd have to wait and see, but I, I, yeah, I do think that that a twelve and one Stanford team that hasn't lost since the first weekend of September is probably getting seeded over over an unbeaten Ohio State. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it how it's handled because obviously there is somewhat pre- somewhat of precedent because one loss Oregon was ahead of undefeated Florida State. Um, so it would be interesting to see if uh, how they would handle that situation, um, how much last year impacts Ohio State's uh, this year, which they probably shouldn't, but it, it's hard to totally remove that. Uh, that It's not really recency bias, but it's hard to like totally forget about last playoff run where Ohio State looked unbeatable uh, when thinking about this one. Um, but I, I do agree with Stanford. I think right now, you know, I gave the teams that I would put in today, but projecting down the road, I think Stanford has a great shot because 
Um, obviously, USC or, or Utah or whoever comes out of the South won't be a total cakewalk, but um, Stanford just looks like one. They've looked like one of the five best teams in the country consistently since week one. McCaffrey's ridiculous. Hogan looks like a you know a solid uh, you know. I hate you know I hate to use game manager as, since it has like a a bad connotation, but I think he's like the best possible version of that. Um, so and and their defense like even if their defense is young and, and doesn't totally you know it's not as good as it's been uh, in the last couple years where Stanford's been tremendous. Um, their offense just dominates time of possession. I think they're number one in time of possession in the country. So um, they they just do whatever they want with teams. So uh, I would not be shocked if they're in the top four. Um, and I do expect them to win the Pac-12, and it'd be really hard to keep a, a one-loss Pac-12 champion out, even if the, the league as a whole doesn't have quite the punch it has in, in years past. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I actually think the Pac-12 does have the punch. It's just a question of, like, which years it cannibalizes itself. I think where Oregon and Stanford have been helped in the past is, um, you know, that, that each other, like, were the biggest hurdle they faced. Yeah. Well, I think this, like, this year Stanford doesn't have that in conference, but I think the Notre Dame game looms pretty large for them at the end of the year. Um, but I think that the, the, you know, some of the Pac-12's parts this year. I think I'd rather fa- I'd rather look at a team that had a resume of wins over an eight-win Cal, an eight-win UCLA, an eight-win USC, um, a potential ten-win Utah, um, and a ten-win Notre Dame. I'd rather see that team than one that that you know beat Oregon at its own game. And the same goes for Oregon. Same deal. I- I'd rather see that resume. Um, and I think that that's going to bode well, even if it doesn't look like it on paper right now. No, that's fair. I mean, even even this year where the Pac-12 doesn't have like, well, it's basically Oregon. Oregon's down. USC, you know, they look down for a minute, although they blasted Utah. And I still think Utah's pretty good. So yeah. USC might be finding itself or might be taking, you know, a little bit of inspiration from trying to win Clay Helton, that job that he's absolutely not going to get. Um, so mm-hmm. Clay Helton's going to get a really nice mid-major job. Though. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe someone needs to try to coach O too. <laughs> someone do get coach O. I want to see coach O. <laughs> Why is this so difficult? Why? All right, can coach O take over Louisiana Monroe next year? Like, oh come on. God, yes. Come on, this is so obvious. Put the fun back in fun row. Yes. Anyway, um, yeah. Even it's basically that Oregon's down, which kind of takes away the team that's been at the top of that league for a couple of years now. Um, but overall, like the, the the weak teams are still the weak teams, and even there, I think Colorado's a little bit better than it's been. I think. Um, the you Arizona's weirdly down, but they kind of took a weird leap last year, and they're kind of regressing to the mean. But um, I think it's still really strong in the middle. So it, there aren't very many like wins that you can totally count out. Even this weekend, like Stanford goes to Washington State, and I'm not totally buying into Washington State keeping that one close. But I do think Washington State could very well be a six-seven win team. And and before the year, or you know, right after Week One when they lost to Portland State, people probably didn't think anything of that team. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I expect Stanford to be a big factor down the stretch. All right, and I would agree. Um, so the late halftime, heading to beer. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking? Oof. Um, not all that much. Uh, not all that much that's that's crazy. I actually uh, was able to go to a dino the other day, so I had some of their ape hanger, um, you know, some Brooklyn lager, some Goose Island, uh, various Goose Islands. Um, but not a very adventurous week for me. Uh, it's just been kind of a busy one and, uh, haven't had a chance to go out too much recently. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, on this end, we've had, um, just trusting for some folks for the brewery. So got to try out, um, Treehouse Brewing's, uh, Julius IPA, as well as, uh, their Hayes double IPA. Really enjoyed both. Um, highly recommended since everyone listening, for the most part, can get it much easier than I can. Um, had Ailsmith's Holiday Double Red IPA. Um, really interesting beer. Um, well, not, not as much interesting, it's just good. But it was but it was a well-done double red. wasn't too hoppy. Um, just in general, like, seemed, for what it was supposed to be, uh, pretty drinkable. Um, and wasn't too heavy on the kind of holiday... Um, vibes. I think some IPAs will do that. Um, this one didn't. Um, would say it's probably second best I've had there, um, other than maybe Sierra Nevada Celebration, 
that I always feel does such a nice job um, as a, as a red IPA. Um, you know, kind of getting those holiday vibes without going too hard. Uh, had Logsdon Farmhouse Ales, uh, Session Brett had it before um, on draft. I grabbed a bottle of it because I had seen it around at the store. Uh, drank some Figaro from Cascade Brewing, just a sour ale with uh, lemon zest. And drank a bunch of grapefruit sculpin. Oh, and then I had uh, Cart Fetish from Monkish. Uh, just a really good uh, barrel aged saison. So yeah, that was uh, that was my week in drinking. More to come. Oh, always more to come. Especially always. if this World Series keeps on going the way it's going. Oh. I don't want to say anything more about that. That is my weekly Mets. To... Yeah, we're, things we're things have been dark. <laughs> we're not talking about the Mets this week. No. We also gave you a 15-minute uh, diversion into SEC and Pac-12, so I think we're, I think we're almost at our quota for off-topic. <laughs> probably, probably way past it. <laughs> that that depends on the quota, because if you recall, during the summer podcast, we would spend 50 minutes talking about not the team we were previewing, and then 10 just running through the schedule. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so yeah, actual football that Syracuse is playing. Um, Dalvin Cook will not be playing against Syracuse um, on Saturday. Um, seems that between the hamstring tweak and some ankle issues and the fact that they're facing Clemson next week, all of those things contributed to uh, Cook sitting this one out. Uh, Mario Penders also unlikely to see the field um, against the Orange, except maybe in some limited action. That means we're with the third and fourth options on the depth chart for Florida State. Um, Everett Golson also um, has kind of floated between probable and questionable all week. Um, if he doesn't go, uh, that'll that'll put Sean McGuire under center. McGuire took first team snaps today, um, yesterday, for those folks listening um, to the podcast on Friday. Uh, Dan, do you think either of these? Injuries help Syracuse in any way? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I think those are probably the two most significant injuries um, Florida State could have had. Uh, Cook is the like by and uh, far and away the most important player for Florida State. He's an absolute game changer. I think there's a very good argument that even with his uh, his hamstring being far from 100 percent the last like three or so weeks, he's probably the second best running back in the country. Um, totally explosive. Uh, not a guy that uh, I can see our defensive bats having a great uh, much chance to bring down in the open field on a regular basis. Um, and then Mario Pender, his backup is also hurt coming off of uh, some pr- a pretty nasty uh, hospital stay, which, you know, we're just, we're glad he's healthy, but he lost like 20 pounds or something crazy. So he's still working his way back. So um, it's, it's going to be, I'm guessing Jonathan Vickers and, and Jets Patrick, neither of whom has touched up. I mean, Vickers 15 carries. Um, Patrick is eight or nine or no, not even six. Uh, I can read. Um, <laughs> so uh, a lot of inexperience in the backfield. And then Dolson, who um, has been, depending on who you ask, he's, you know, some people have been incredibly unimpressed with him. He's just, played very safe football. He's not getting the ball down the field very much, but he's making the throws he needs to make uh, to keep things going in between Cook lighting teams up. Um, but he's only averaging 6.8 yards in attempt. Sean McGuire obviously played that game against Clemson last year against a very good defense and won. Um, has only taken eight, only thrown eight balls this year. Uh, I, I don't think these two injuries are enough to swing the game totally for Syracuse. I think the talent differential is big enough. Florida State should win, but if you got uh, in at Syracuse plus 20 and a half, I think you'd be very happy right now because put Florida State's offense to fire at nearly the uh, effectiveness that it usually Yeah, um, has Vegas updated these odds yet? Probably not. Not when I, I looked see. right after the Midwire stuff came out and it was still 20 and a half. I would assume this probably fades down to about 18 and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right. Before kick, um, that, I think, I mean, and, and to be honest, and I guess because I'm about to say that w- would actually intrigue me, that's exactly why Vegas would do it, um, is because it's like, it's right at that line where um, 
it could, you know, it, it it's right within shouting distance of both the competitive game and garbage time points. Um, that, that'll likely um, push some action on both sides. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I think in general, I think as long as Florida State wins, it's a smart move for them to, to hopefully have Cook at, at around 100% um, against Clemson. I, I think Pender's another guy who, if they had both of them, and I mean, Pender wouldn't be at more than 80 to 85%, but I think, I, you know, Cook at 95 and 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 Pender at 85 against Clemson, I think would make a huge, huge difference for them. And um, same goes for goals. I mean, and this is, I guess, you know, the, the benefit of having four and five-star guys um, like throughout the uh, you know the depth chart is that you, if you say oh hey four star guy here you know can't can't go you you throw in another four or five star guy and um, again what we will see on Saturday but um, could be a bit of a uh, well the Florida State version of a skeleton crew <laughs> out there for the Knolls yeah unfortunately this one's on the road I. I... I really don't expect Syracuse to put forth a, a real upset bid here, but uh, especially because of how, you know, the, the defense has struggled down the stretch and this will still be a Florida state team that has just a ton of speed at receiver. Um, they don't have a game breaker like Rashad green or Calvin Benjamin's been in the past, but it, it's a, a group that's pretty, has some interesting players, um, some pretty productive ones. So uh, I do think it'll be, you know, probably around a two-touchdown game, give or take, you know, three points here or there. But, um, you know, hopefully it'll be a game that we keep interesting throughout. And, I mean, even if it's like last year, which was probably a better game for Syracuse than it looked in the final store, uh, the 38-20 game, um, I do think uh, Syracuse should, you know, I don't expect it to be the total uh, destruction that it would be if Dalvin Drift was 100% and just running all over the place. Um, and it is probably the right call for them to hold him out. Um I now, you know, anything could happen. Obviously, our Florida guys might get really fired up, or uh, Florida State will, could, you know, totally struggle to find a rhythm. Um, I do think this could be a really low scoring game. Um, but I, I'm not totally knocking on the uh, Syracuse's and a Doget, uh, Scott Schaefer, this huge upset bit, but I hope they do. That'd be a pretty nice way to start a what is kind of a, a down college football Saturday in terms of uh, matchups. I think I'd take a, a Syracuse upset went over Florida State. Any nice way to start Halloween too. Maybe yeah. things will get weird on Halloween. <laughs> that would be a nice way to to start my Saturday. A little nine a.m. Uh, upset. Obviously, uh, Syracuse decided to uh, to not participate in the uh, the game we were hoping for. A little bit of uh, all orange versus all black. Did Florida State announce their jersey combo? No, I also have a, there's a, I have a feeling that it might have just been Jimbo not wanting to wear all black either. So, um, right, especially in 80 degree heat. That yeah, in Florida, <laughs> which I, I guess I understand if you know, since it's going to be the daytime. Um, it would have been a lot of fun though. I was hoping to see that. Although I do like the combination that we are rolling out for the first time the uh, the orange helmet, orange pant, white jerseys. I think it will look pretty sharp. Yeah, I mean we haven't. I know we used to wear that one. I mean, that was one of our two staple uniforms for a while. We haven't um, worn it with these new, in, no, the newish jerseys. Yeah, we, we, since these were introduced before, you know, last season, we haven't worn them at all. But um, that was kind of a staple of uh, what we trotted out there under Marone, um, and then obviously the McNabb days. We used to wear this combo quite a bit. Um, so I, I am, uh, I am looking forward to seeing that go out there. Hopefully, at uh, Hopefully it has better luck than, well, pretty much every combo at this point. <laughs> the, <laughs> the issue with new uniforms when you're playing not that great um, for a two-year stretch is that every uniform combination just has terrible uh, results attached to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, this would, be the, this would be the only uniform combo with a winning record. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we've found the, the lucky uniform combination out of the new, uh, the new jerseys quite yet. We're still working on that. But there are plenty that we haven't tried yet, so... Uh, unfortunately, it'll probably end up being like we'll, we'll end up going like four and zero in the the dark blue helmet, platinum jersey, white pants combo, and then we'll wear that every game. <laughs> Don't wish that evil on me, Dan. That was the ugliest thing I could conceive of in that like brief moment in time. Did we ever have a platinum helmet? No, 
I think they're... Thank God. Yeah. I actually still think the platinum jerseys would look okay with orange pants and orange helmets, but don't tell anyone else I said that. Ugh. Freaking... <laughs> like, Frankenstein's monster, Georgetown and Syracuse uniforms. It's like a, a Freaky Friday uh, rivalry special. Or it's like those oh. uh, those mock-ups that people did on Reddit this offseason where they made the uniforms in the rivals' colors, which is actually a lot of fun. Uh, of course, oh, yeah. I don't think Syracuse actually... No, we did. We got, like, BCs, I think, which actually looked kind of cool. Yeah, those weren't too bad. So, yeah, I mean, we're not, like, holding out hope we're going to win this one, but we're obviously hoping we can win this one. I think there's a big difference there. Um, Dan, what is... Uh, I know you kind of batted around a couple, like, scoring tendency ideas. If you had to put money on an, on an exact score, what are you looking at? Um, I'll take... Huh. I'll take Florida State 24-13. Interesting. Yeah, and that's even closer than I like thought I would say, but that's just what came to me. I think it'll be I think it'll be a, a relatively close game into like the middle of the fourth quarter and I think they'll they'll store the kind of this touchdown to put it away like early to mid fourth quarter and that'll be that. But I think it'll be an, an encouraging performance overall. All right. I've got a I told the Florida State blog, and this was before all the news came out, I told the Florida State blog 48-20. to 20. I don't buy that now, um, based on the injuries. I mean, granted, their receivers can probably still do a lot of terrible things to our secondary, but um, I'm going to go with... Let's go... 33-21? to 21? Okay. I think that works. Not not the most likely score, admittedly, because we do settle for field goals a lot. I mean, but AJ Long scored a couple touchdowns. I think didn't Ishmael have two touchdowns in the game last year? He had at least one. He, he had those. He had those two gorgeous scores yeah. last year. So hopefully he uh, he comes to play again after last week and and you know has the whole uh, home state. You know they didn't offer him going on, which will be fun. And hopefully Julian Witten doesn't die. Oh. Well, that was really awful <laughs> last time. I don't want to see that again because that was terrifying. I uh, I have a joke <laughs> that doesn't revolve around that hit, but more revolves around it's kind of hard for anything that happen to you on a football field when you're unlikely to see it. Uh, he played much. safety last week. He actually looked better at safety, I thought, than Turner. He did. He did. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, and you know, it's funny because I, I feel like that conversation happens with like one player a year. Um, on like a notable team, and I feel like we just never see it with us. But I don't know why I haven't thought of it. I don't know why coaches didn't think of it until now. Of player who can't keep receivers in front of him, maybe we should put him behind them. <laughs> like, wonder what happens next. Uh, yeah, he did play well, and I think that. I mean, it wasn't the only reason the secondary looked to improve last week, but it was part of it. Yeah, and even even Boyd, like he put up numbers, but they weren't like. There was no one play where he broke the name open. He was, you know, they got him the ball a ton. No, they, it, was, it was all like dink and dunk crap in the slot. Yeah, and they ran the ball with him, which was like way more than you'd ever expect. But um, I thought it was a uh, pretty good, I mean, I thought Boyd was going to, you know, every game he, he plays against us, he breaks one deep and it ended up being the game winner in that 17-16 game. Um, but I thought overall for probably one of the five seven best receivers in college football, we, we did a pretty good job considering they were determined to have the ball, and they did, but nothing huge, which was good. So hopefully these yeah. secondary uh, adjustments, you know, which were probably a couple weeks too late, but still welcome. During the broadcast, did they call him the best receiver in college football? I, I didn't have the volume on. I was I had the volume on the other games because I was at work and didn't want to tell everyone else to listen to the Syracuse team when there was, you know, pertinent things going on. Yeah, we always get some really... I mean, this week, not so much, but in the past, we getting some pretty bad time slots in terms of, uh, you know, better games on, potentially. I hate to say it, but since I have worked during college football for obvious reasons, um, I actually kind of prefer the noon games uh, as a viewer from from uh, from there, just because it kind of gets it. I, I get it first, and then I can focus on everything else rather than, um, you know, having to sit through at a 3.30 when, like, usually every other, like, huge game is going on and we're scrambling for... for for plays and other content. So I actually kind of like the all noon, everything schedule we have. Although if I was like a season ticket holder, I'd be really upset. So 
Um, I'm like the one person who's kind of content with how things have turned out schedule-wise. Yeah, and you know what? Um, my wife feels the same way. Um, sometimes I feel the same way. I think it depends on what's going on on that Saturday. Uh, for me, obviously a little bit different story than most SU fans. Um, since a noon start is a 9 a.m. start for me. Um, and then technically, you know, I can, I can, I'm free to do other things by 12.30 or so. Um, granted, those other things are watching college football. But, but you didn't. You wouldn't uh, have to. Like hypothetically, you could not. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and, and that that makes my wife happy. So that's uh, it's usually a goal in uh, in, in the things I do. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm gonna have to call bullshit on uh, Tyler Boyd being one of the top. Well, being the top receiver. In yeah, the he's not the top receiver. He's he's very yeah. good though. Latron Treadwell's yeah. a better player. Oh yeah, because I mean, <laughs> Treadwell tre- tre- Treadwell just kind of tip of the iceberg in terms of people like i mean i'm just looking at the top receivers list like some of these guys it's obviously system Coleman. even like like dachshund like same deal like it's definitely just because like gary patterson runs this like too bashful to be called an air raid air raid at tcu and i mean they move the ball incredibly well in the air it's it's they're just one of those teams um that that is going to be airing it out i mean and if you participated in that Texas Tech game alone, um, you're probably looking at a nice little stat bump. Um, but then, like, even guys like you know, guys who I bought into a little while ago, guys like Juju uh, Smith-Schuster, like over at USC, who not only catches the ball but finds the end zone. Um, where the hell is what's-his-name in Colorado State? Oh, uh, he's really good. I can't remember his name. What's his bad? Because he's totally underrated. What the hell? He's not even on this list. Anti anti uh, group of five bias. I, I got Nelson Spruce. Richard Higgins. Admittedly, oh, Higgins. There you go. Yeah, I got Nelson Spruce on here when I was looking up Kahlo, which I mean, he's put up really good numbers for the Buffaloes in the past. Decent numbers this year. I still think he's probably. It's funny you look at this list and like of like top receivers and Spruce is number thirty six out of forty in terms of yardage, but I would say Spruce might be the best NFL receiver. Um, outside of Treadwell on this list. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see too much Colorado for obvious reasons, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I have seen him you. in the past. He's a, he's. A, I mean, for he's one of those classic like players who totally goes under the radar because of the team he plays for, but definitely uh, a talent. Agreed. Agreed. Um, closing this out, uh, Dan. Anything that anything else you want to look out for this weekend, whether it's with Syracuse or, or, or another team um, that. that I should take a look at maybe uh, some of the listeners should as well. Um, well, if you are watching Syracuse, which I imagine you would be listening to this podcast um, on Florida state, uh, Josh sweat was one of the, he was the top player in his recruiting class. He's a freshman for a long time. He had a really awful injury last September came back like months before anyone thought he would. And he's been not totally, but he's been so much better than people thought considering he was coming off of like, I think it was an ACL dedicated knee uh, last September. Um, so he'll either not, if he's not starting, he'll be playing a lot of snaps. So he's, he's the one that's a, a giant monster at defensive end. So I'm a little nervous about him. Um, also intrigued to see him play a full game. So hopefully he doesn't devour Eric Dungy, but um, I am kind of intrigued to see how he, how he looks, uh, because I haven't seen, I've seen some Florida State, but not as much as I have in years past. Agreed. Um, and I guess I'll give myself something, um, something to look out for. Um, Temple. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I I, don't, I hate talking about the Owls as much as we have to lately, but at the same time, um, I wrote that article a couple of weeks ago. It's rang even truer since. Um, Temple and Syracuse of late doesn't mean that these things can't change on a dime, but Temple and Syracuse since the end of the 2012 season have been going in opposite directions. Temple, um, if they beat Notre Dame, will very much own one of the better wins in all of college football, will likely be a top 15 team along with fellow American Athletic Conference team Memphis um, on a collision course for, I think they play in like a couple weeks. Um, And that game, you would try to make a compelling case for it as the game day game but um, there are a couple of other uh, contests in the way as the schedule kind of picks up for the rest of the season. Um, so take a look at what the Temple Owls do. I don't really expect we'll be too impressed with 
the game day crowd. Um, I think we're going to see at least half Notre Dame fans. Um, just as, you know, they kind of inhabit all those East Coast cities uh, quite a bit, either on game day or in general. Um, but at the same time, I think it'll be interesting to see what ESPN does with a smaller school that doesn't really have the tradition and, like, kind of came out of nowhere. Um so, yeah, that'll be kind of fun to watch. I think just in general, seeing Temple on the national stage and, and, and the anomaly that is for not just not just recent fans of college football, but, like, I mean, those of us who were paying attention to the Big East back when Temple and, you know, along with Rutgers were complete doormats. And then Temple got kicked uh, out. <laughs> yeah, and then Temple got kicked, literally got kicked out of a conference, which uh, I can't come to think of it any other, I can't think of any other team that's actually, that's happened to. And for that team to get kicked out of a conference and come back, um, and then be part of a reshaped form of that conference and be like one of the best teams in it. Um, all those things don't make any sense to me. Um, that's kind of why it's college football um, at its finest. But yeah, I, I kind of want to see, um, as sick as it may sound, what what Temple top 15 program looks like. Yeah, and I mean, it's a Northeastern program, which you can take the, we don't want to see other Northeastern programs uh, on our turf, and I get that, but it also kind of proves that you can mold the talent that a team like Temple can get, which is not the same talent that a team like Syracuse can get, into a competitive team. And, and they're probably not a legitimate top 15 team in terms of, like, talent. Um, and if they were playing, like, a major conference schedule, they probably have some losses, but you can't knock what they've done. Like, they've been super impressive. Um, and if you if you can't root for Temple against Notre Dame, I, I don't want to know you. So, um, <laughs> go Owls, for sure. Uh, I hope Matt Rule doesn't get hired by one of our rivals, because um, that's coming. I don't know where, but he's you know he's gone in two years, no matter what. He's just done too too good a job. Um, so that that will be fun to see, and it's always fun to see game day at new places. Uh, hopefully, it isn't a dud, but I think usually the new the new schools turn out. I don't know if it'll be like JMU last week, which was a, a total like just the maybe the biggest game. I think they said like maybe the biggest game day crowd they've ever had, which is crazy. But I, I think it'll be an interesting one. I think they're doing it, what, Independence Hall? Yeah, and I mean, in general, like, JMU just has the rep for it. Like, Temple doesn't. But again, that doesn't mean they won't. Um, like, I, I only knew about JMU because uh, I used to, in high school, work with a couple kids um, over the summers that, that went to JMU. And, and, you know, they would kind of tell these, like, you know, your typical college war stories of, like, the insane crowds for football games, the insane, like, parties on weekends. And, and to me, that just, it seemed to live up and then some um, in what happened before the game. I didn't really, I didn't actually watch the game. Um, I was busy doing a lot of other things. But, yeah, I think JMU had the rep for it already. Um, Temple doesn't, doesn't mean they can't gain it. Um, and that could start, you know, Saturday morning. Um, I like to root for... Um, Pac-12 games to get game day also just because it's fun for me sitting in the dark at 6 a.m. to see people on TV sitting in the dark at 6 a.m. Um, as this thing starts, but I'm sure there's, there's some other opportunities down the road. Um, in particular, the Notre Dame-Stanford game, which I believe is in Palo Alto this year. Uh, I think uh, you're so. right. And and it was kind of, a, I mean, Wazoo will get it eventually. They, they've only been campaigning openly for 10 years, so you think eventually uh, it'll come true. <laughs> Well, I just I want them to get it. That way, we can campaign openly for ten years. Well, we gotta start sending it. flags around the country. I mean, well, I, we gotta put forth the effort if we want, and we also have to win more than you know, eight games well, maybe once, well, or, or more than three would be also. Let's start there. I mean this this would have been the game day game if if we had started six and one. Well, you mean Clemson would have been? Eh. I mean, I don't well, care about game day being at Florida State. Florida State. Yeah, I mean, I just want to be involved. Oh, you mean, I, I thought you meant, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess if Syracuse sits on Florida State, might have gotten it. Um, although, I don't know. I think undefeated Temple is just such a weird thing that they might have still done with that. That's fair. Like, if Florida State had, had, had not lost on a, on a fluky, insane play um, last week, then maybe. Yeah. Now, in, in, a, in a world where Clemson is looking to run towards the ACC and then like a Syracuse might have lost before, but then knocked off Florida State. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what, what else on the docket next year. I mean, uh, next week. But I mean, that's one of the things. That's like the type of thing you have to do uh, to start like getting 
people interested. I mean, you also have to have like crowds. So they, I think game day would be scared away if Syracuse is drawing thirty five thousand. But if the dome started getting, you know, if people started getting really into it and there were, you know, forty three, forty four, forty five thousand people there every week, then I think game day would start, you know, considering us. But obviously, we are speaking in pure hypotheticals based on how the season has gone so far, uh, both record wise and crowd wise. Very, very true. Um, all right, next. I guess we'll kind of... Always, always next year. <laughs> I guess we'll kind of leave it on that. Uh, Dan, as always, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out for an hour, chatting about SU. Yes. So, uh, enjoy this weekend, everyone. Enjoy the weekend. Go Orange. Go Mets if you're partial to baseball while it's still happening. And yeah, have a good weekend, everyone. <laughs> At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.